We have a very merry Renew Gurus with Representative Martha Stevens. Hello out there in podcast world. This is Renew Gurus, your source for all things energy policy and politics in Missouri and beyond. My name is James Owen. I'm the executive director of Renew Missouri. Coming to you live on tape from the palatial Renew Missouri studios here in Columbia, Missouri, Danielle Wilson. Hello. On the boards. I'm here. Still haven't quit yet, huh? Mm-hmm. We'll see. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, we still got a couple of weeks left in 2019. We'll test your endurance. But before that, we have a very special guest here in the studio, Representative Martha Stevens. She is the state representative from the 46th district, my district. Right. This is my state rep. This is very exciting. Uh, Representative, hello. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. I know we've tried to do this for a while, and I'm glad it finally worked out. We have. You all are very elusive, you state reps and state senators. <laughs> um, and I mean, I don't, I, I don't blame you. Um, one, you've got a lot going on, right? Yeah, I keep pretty busy. Yeah, okay. So, like, if you were to, like, kind of do a nutshell version of what you do, what is it as a state representative? What is it that you do? Sure. So, I mean, as a state representative, you know, I represent approximately 38,000 folks here in the 46th district in uh, Columbia, all within city limits in the south and southwest parts of town. Yeah. Um, and really, my I view being a state rep as um, an opportunity to work on policy, public mm-hmm. policy, right. that um, really improves people's lives. Yeah. So, um, you know, a good portion of my job is meeting with constituents, meeting with different advocates, yeah. different stakeholders to really find out what the issues are that impact their lives and their communities and try to use public policy as a way to improve those situations and, and work on issues and concerns that folks have. Do you find that to be easy? Yeah. It's, is that an easy job to do? Well, it's... it's uh, not always. You know, I am in the super minority in Jefferson City. Yeah, we should point out you are a Democrat. I am a Democrat. I'm a proud, progressive Democrat. Well, that's right. And I mean, you have a pretty, um, your district here, you know, in part of Columbia. Columbia is a college town, relatively progressive, and you have some uh, pretty good numbers on your side with this uh, with this district. Is that safe to say? Yeah, I think that um, I'm a good fit for this district. I think that um, my values really reflect the values of yeah. my constituents. That being said, you know, when I go out and I campaign and I door knock, I I definitely come across more conservative folks and Republicans, yeah. um, but I represent them too, and it's yeah. important for me to have discussions with them about things that they care about. Yeah, because you say you're in the super minority. I mean, okay, so in the House of Representatives in Missouri, there are 163 seats. We also have a Senate that has 34 seats, and out of 163, are you all at 47 or 48? We're at 48. 48. I was close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, for someone who doesn't do any show prep, I'm okay <laughs> with these numbers. Because you just had a special election where you flipped a seat in okay. St. Louis County. Yes, Representative Trish uh, Gumby. She'll be yeah. joining us uh, in January and we'll get sworn in. And I'm really excited to have her on our team. Yeah, which, and we'll get to a little bit of those those dynamic shifts and everything later. But yeah, I mean, so when you're talking about 48 people out of 163, I mean, that's a lot. I mean, you have a big group of Republicans who might not share your priorities. That's true. <laughs> am that's I am true. I putting that mildly? Yeah, I mean, they, they definitely have a lot of power control as far as what bills go to get assigned to committees get right. hearings, get brought up on the House floor. So I've really tried to find ways to work across the aisle on yeah. issues that I think are bipartisan. Uh-huh. Um, and a lot of that has, for me, I've found success working with members across the aisle on issues around health care, um, 
access to substance use disorder treatment mm -hmm. uh, for new moms. Uh, that's a bill I worked on in 2018, uh, and we actually got over the finish line and passed and signed into law. We're still working on it being implemented because I won't get in, I mean, I'm happy to get into the weeds with, of it, but we have to get a waiver from uh, CMS at the federal level. So we're still. Oh, uh, that does sound that. like a lot of weeds. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, so. <laughs> That's all like med CMS yeah. is like they administer Medicaid. Yes, and, uh, Medicaid and Medicare services. Right. We call it. Clarify. Yeah, we call it Missouri Health Note. But I know at the federal level, they call it Medicaid yeah. and Medicare. So, yeah, because I mean, your background is you're a social worker by education, yes. correct? Okay, so. And you and you worked. You've worked at the Missouri Rural Crisis Center. Am mm -hmm. I saying that right? Yes. Yeah. Ah, see, I do do my homework. <laughs> I know people say <laughs> I don't here. So, I mean, we talk about like a social worker. I mean, what was there something about that interest and that career that influenced your desire to to run for office? I mean, what was it that you experienced there? You saw that and said, "Hey, I want to like you know try to take this to a different level." Yeah. So I've been. Um... So I do have I have my master's in social work. Uh, before that, before I got my master's, I worked in the non-profit world. I worked uh, with programming both here and in Missouri, or actually from Missouri State, and yeah. then, uh, out in Seattle. I spent some time in Seattle. Oh, I moved out there. My husband got an engineering job after school, uh, so we did. We lived out there for a couple of years, um, but. In that time, I worked for non-for-profits and really supported programming that helped um, support low-income uh, seniors and adults with yeah. disabilities to live in our communities through different supports, you know, in-home care services, day health, things like that. So definitely, then I moved back. Oh, sorry, I'll come around here <laughs> to your question. We're getting your question. to it. I know, but this is fine. <laughs> this is the whole point of a podcast is we want to have a, you know, a roundabout conversation. Yeah. So that's okay. So roundabout. Yeah. So, you know, in, in that work, I really, I saw a lot of folks that, you know, left the workforce fairly early, people that didn't have access to health care and preventative health care and what that meant for them. Uh -huh. um, so access to health care, that was kind of my first real experience to how important it was. Moved back to Columbia in 2011, went to grad school at Mizzou, oh, okay. got my master's yeah. in social work. And it was actually through my practicum, my last year, um, you do a 40-hour placement. And I was on the, uh, you can do the clinical track or public policy in the yeah. school of social work. And I did the public policy. Right. And I did my full-time internship with another social worker who happened to be the lobbyist for Planned Parenthood. Oh, okay. In 2013. Who was that back then? It was uh, Michelle Tribbiano. Yeah, okay. A wonderful uh, social worker and mentor. And, and so uh, that was my first exposure to Jeff City. Oh. And so my... How <laughs> exciting was that for you? Well, uh, to be honest, I was pretty, you know, I was interning with you know reproductive rights is yeah a pretty um, hot topic in Missouri politics. Frowned upon by the majority in, in some measure, yes? Yes, we've yeah. passed very extreme bills uh, <laughs> to uh, restrict access to um, safe and legal abortion. So, yeah, that was kind of my first experience, and I got hired on, and Planned Parenthood started to also do work in 2013, was the first year we could have expanded Medicaid here in Missouri. Oh, uh, so, yes. Yes, yes. So we were part of that coalition. Right, and, right. And uh, so I got hired on there. I continued to do... Um, advocacy. I was their grassroots organizer at Planned Parenthood. So mm -hmm. right. continue to work in the Capitol, bring uh, volunteers, have people meet with their, you know, facilitate those conversations with their lawmakers yeah. uh, and really advocate for the issues that were important to them. Yeah. And then went on to work with the Missouri Rural Crisis Center. Also, uh, I was the healthcare advocate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I mean, you know, I know we've tried to work with them, reach out to them. I know they're very busy and they have a lot of things on their agenda, especially we think a lot about 
cooperative work and, and energy efficiency in rural Missouri. And so that's important to us as well. So you looked at doing work for Planned Parenthood in Jefferson City and said, I want more of this. Yes. <laughs> you thought this seemed like this was fun. So I never, <laughs> it was never my um, intention to run for office. That oh, was okay. not a plan. There was an opportunity and Stephen Weber had the seat for eight years and yeah. he was terming out. And I had a lot of people in my life knowing that I was already doing a lot of this work in Jefferson City right. and in the community say, you know, why don't you continue to do this work and be an advocate, but do it as a state representative? Yeah. Okay. Um, and so, you know, going back to what social work is, you know, social work is really about advancing social and economic justice, like right. in a nutshell. Right. So those values and the idea of, you know, what it means to be an advocate to improve people's lives, that carries over. And I think it fits really nicely with the role of a state representative. Mm -hmm. And so I still get to... Um, work with different stakeholders and different advocates and constituents, but now I have the ability to file legislation and try to get things done right. through through that process. Yeah. Now you mentioned something. I know we have a vast national audience of like <laughs> 10 people. And I was going to ask how, 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 how are we doing? I don't know. I have no idea. I, I, I know I like to talk and I, and I know that I know that some people like to email us and they say they like what they hear. I mean, we'll, we'll get you numbers. We'll, we'll let you know. How many okay. <laughs> Um, you mentioned something about being, uh, your, your predecessor being termed out. I mean, we have term limits here in Missouri, don't we? We do. We, uh, voters and they're in, 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 you know, at the power democracy in 1992 enacted eight year term limits for state reps and eight year term limits for state senators. So at the most, you can represent people for 16 years in both chambers that went into effect in 2002 lost a lot of people to that. And so now, I mean, I, I will tell you, I think, and, and you, you were elected in 2016, you will be only eligible to be a state rep until 2024, and that'll be it as far as being a state representative. Correct. I mean, is that frustrating to you? Well, so I think term limits, I mean, it's, we, we lose a lot of institutional knowledge. It gives, I think, a lot of power to the lobbyists that have been there for mm. a long time that know how to kind of run things. Um, and I think it also impacts folks' ability to really work together long term mm -hmm. and build, you know, more rapport and better relationships across the aisle. You know, and a lot of times people are, they know they're there for, you know, a very short amount of time and want to get something done that, and it takes a while to pass a bill. Like, so it is. You know? what, what's amazing to me is, I, I you know, and I, and, you know, you've done advocacy work and from the not-for-profit level, that's what we're doing now. It's amazing to me when you try to talk to people, and this is like important when we have people like you on here, we say, well, why can't we get these three or four things done this session? I'm like, three or four things done this session? <laughs> I will be lucky to get one thing done in five years. Right. <laughs> I mean, and so, you know, and I mean, and I guess... You know, because now you've seen it from both sides. I mean, you, you probably get people frustrated with you. I'm, I'm taking a guess here that, like, why isn't more getting done? Why is there so much gridlock? Why are we seeing people fighting all the time? I mean, like, do you have, like, a way to explain to people why this is such a grind? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's complicated. I mean, not to, like, oversimplify it. I think there's lots of reasons. We're only there for a short amount of time. Right. Leadership has their agenda and their priorities. Yeah. Sometimes I think it's personalities. Mm. Like someone, you know, you didn't vote for my bill in this committee. Or Any particular personalities you'd like to discuss on the record? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, just checking. Let's see if we can make no. some news. Um, no. Yeah. So I think, you know, things... Uh, I, it's a lot of different reasons that things don't get through. I think deals are made. You know, it's just, I, it's it's a lot. Yeah. I, I think, like, even trying to describe to people the process, like, okay, so, like, 
you, you're a state rep. You introduce a bill. Then that bill gets assigned to a committee. And sometimes those committees might be inclined to have a hearing for your bill, and sometimes they're not. And sometimes that's the reason they get sent to those committees, because maybe someone doesn't want them to be heard. Then that committee person has an opportunity to decide if it gets a hearing or not. And then they got to have a vote. And sometimes they don't have a vote. And then they vote. And then it's got to go to another committee. <laughs> and then it's got to go to... Maybe it gets changed, and then it's got to go back, and then it's got to go to the full House of Representatives. And then, even if it gets voted on there, it's got to start that whole process over again in the Senate. It's true. And sometimes, <laughs> you know, trying to explain to people, it's pretty nuanced. Like, I always think about, you know, I have folks ask me, well, why did you vote, you know, yes on this in the House? Right. And then later, no. And right. so a lot of times we'll, or I'll vote yes in committee, and then we load it up with bogus amendments that I can't support the bill right. anymore on the House floor. It comes back from the Senate, and I, it, you know, there's something in the bill that I just can't hit that yes button anymore because yeah. of it. Um, because so it looks nuanced. fundamentally different. It does yes. fundamentally different things. Yes. I believe as uh, a former Democratic presidential candidate said, I was for this before I was against it. That was John Kerry when he was talking about the Iraq war or something mm -hmm. like that. I don't know. But I mean, like that, I mean, that's an example. I mean, that could have probably been more artfully put. But the reality is, yes, these things change. Mm -hmm. They evolve. And then when you get to the Senate, you got to go through all that all over again. And then if they change it, then it's got to go back right. to the House. And then everyone's got to agree to it. And then maybe it gets to the governor. Who may or may not veto it. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, when you put it like that, yeah. and you and you say to people, and I hope people are listening who don't understand why we haven't transformed Missouri uh, into a, a state that's following the Paris Climate Accord, that it's just, that it is, um, and we're not trying to do that. I, I just was using it as sure. an example, but um, that is the process. Yeah, and, and so I think to go back to the original question about term limits, yeah. we do lose that institutional knowledge, and there's other negative consequences of that. And for me, I'm like, term limits is when the voters vote you out. Like, right. I mean, that's your term limit, when, yeah. when people are dissatisfied and, and want to support another candidate that they, that they think will reflect um, the broader values of a constituency. Yeah, because I think in some ways term limits suggest to people that they're not smart enough to make that decision on their own. I mean, voters, when I say that, which I find to be a little offensive. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think I've seen these. I mean, but, you know, you at the same time you're playing devil's advocate. You say, like, well, before term limits, there are people that had seats for, like, 30 years. Sure. I, I can Literally. certainly see both sides of it. <laughs> yeah. I understand. I can see both sides for sure. Yeah. Um, a guy I worked for, Jim Kreider, who was the last Democratic Speaker of the House, he beat a guy who had literally been in office for 28 years. But he did. He beat him. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I mean, that was not easy to do, and especially that was, like, as a Democrat in southwest Missouri, you couldn't do that now. <laughs> uh, well, at least from the part he's from. So, yeah, so term limits, those are challenges. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that you see is, this is a controversial topic, it's still a controversial topic, we dealt with it, voters dealt with it in 2018, how we draw maps. That's a challenge. Uh, we passed a, we pass a law... I'll, I'll say, if we're talking about some sausage making, my wife helped write it at the law firm she used to work at. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, um, Clean Missouri. And one of the things it does is creates kind of a competitive equation that draws maps to where you're, you're hoping to get more voters that are of different uh, party affiliations to have more uh, competitive seats. Mm -hmm. I think I'm saying that in a nutshell, but some people don't like that because some people don't want the seats to be competitive. Well, I think the super majority doesn't like that because it's going to become more balanced, I think, in Jefferson oh, City. Not the balance. <laughs> we don't want balance, do we? 
<laughs> no. <laughs> well, and I think we know for sure that, I mean, that's absolutely going to be a priority this year. Um, there's already been three things filed in the Senate. Yes. Um, to to um, mess with the outcome of Clean Missouri, uh, which is really frustrating and very insulting to the voters. I right. Mean, this passed by two to one margin in our state in 2018. Uh, you know, people organized, they came together, they got this on the ballot. Um, they were, you know, I think the ballot initiative process is really important for a robust democracy. It's in the Missouri Constitution. And yeah, so it's it's something that I think is <laughs> it's a wonderful tool to use when legislators are not really listening to what Missouri citizens want. I mean, we saw that in 2018 with raising minimum wage right. that was on the ballot, Clean Missouri, the comprehensive ethics uh, package that we're talking about, and the the fair redistricting. Um, medicinal marijuana. Yes, yeah, medical yeah. marijuana. Um, and so it's the ballot initiative process is something that I value, and um, the fact that it's going to it's definitely been indicated that this is going to be a priority this year, um, I think should outrage voters. And I hope that they contact uh, their state reps and their yeah. state senators and make their voices heard, yeah. especially going into an election year. Because, I mean, there are also efforts, because the clean Missouri thing is a constitutional matter. And so, like, there would have to be a ballot right. initiative introduced by the legislature for that to be changed. Exactly. So they're doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. They're wanting people to vote on this. I mean, they have to with the Constitution, but... Right. They're still engaged in that process. Now, I mean, and I know that, I, I know you mentioned something about Medicaid expansion back in 2013. That is something that could potentially be seen on the ballot in 2020. Yes. Can I talk about that a little bit? Oh, of course. <laughs> Please. Yes. Well, you I, might as well. You're yeah, here. Yeah. Well, it's something I'm really excited about. Yeah. Um, you know, in 2013 was the first year that we could have um, expanded Medicaid in our state. And we have just left so much money on the table at the federal right. level. Um, we've had nine rural hospitals closed since right. 2014. One of the things that I talk about a lot are issues around the opiate epidemic. And for states that have expanded, so many low-income folks were able to actually go mm -hmm. and get treatment and afford uh, right. health care and uh, mental health care and substance use disorder treatment because those are required through Medicaid. And um, I just think there's so many benefits, not to mention, you know, the, the federal government. You know, up until now, we could have had the feds pay 100%. Starting in 2020, it's going to be a 90-10 match. Okay. But that's still pretty good. That's a lot. Um, I mean, because when you think about, like, social services, you talk about health and senior services at the state level, most of that is the administration of federal funds. And a lot of people don't realize that. But, like, what a lot of what those agencies do is, I mean, they're doing a lot. Of, they're getting a lot of federal money, and they're just managing and they're processing it. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I, am, I, am I getting that right? I'm not No, no, no. Like with Medicaid, yeah. you get a lot of federal money for Medicaid. Yes. Yeah. And like and with uh, like with health and senior services, I mean, I know from when I worked at the Austin administration, there was like uh, work on AIDS education. A lot, almost all that was federal money. Okay. Weatherization and LIHEAP uh, that goes to low-income weatherization programs and subsidies for utilities. A lot of that's federal money. Mm -hmm. I mean, so, you know, because and I think what I'm getting at here, I didn't Sorry. throw you no, off, no, no, no. Uh, but uh, I've heard people say, like, in regards to Medicaid expansion, like, well, we just can't trust the federal government. You don't hear that as much anymore because there's a Republican mm -hmm. in charge of the federal government, but you heard that. But the reality is a, the state of Missouri gets a lot of money from the federal government yes. that we administer. That is, this is not a new concept. No, right? I mean, that's a frustrating talking point. It's like, well, when I hear that about the federal I think of approximately a third of our budget, we do not say don't send us federal money for roads and infrastructure right like we don't say that for any of those things right. but we say it because medicaid expansion has become very politicized yeah um, and it's really disappointing I mean, beyond disappointing especially for the 
over 200,000 folks that uh, low-income working folks. They just don't have employees' yeah. health care. Right, right. And Medicaid expansion is an opportunity to provide that. What's been amazing to me, and I, you know, working at Renew Missouri, we, we always try to like focus on the economic benefits of this because that's something that's that's important to a conservative audience. Like to me, the idea that rural hospitals are shutting down as a result of this or cutting back services, like where there are real jobs being lost. There are real services to rural Missouri, which is like a, a, you know, where most, you know, Republican votes come from in the state. And, you know, and I've seen like the Missouri Hospital Association and the Chamber of Commerce. And I'm just going to, I'm going to rag on them for a second because this, this, this has bothered me for like five years. Five years ago, the Hospital Association and Chamber of Commerce said, we're going to go out there and we're going to sell this Medicaid expansion. Mm-hmm. Because there were, because they already spent all this time uh, sowing skepticism about uh, Obamacare and all this other stuff, and then they realized that oh no, this is going to be a problem for us. I literally watched someone from the Chamber of Commerce. I was in Seymour, Missouri, folks. Seymour, Missouri, go visit their Apple Festival every September. Seymour, Missouri is a very small town in uh, southeast Webster County. I was running for judge at the time. I was an appointed judge. I was sitting there doing a Seymour area Chamber of Commerce meeting, and this woman came down from the Missouri Chamber of Commerce to talk about uh, rural hospitals and Medicaid expansion. And what she said was stunning to me. She sits up and she says, you know, I know you all don't like this. I know you all don't like expanded Medicaid, but now we're going to say, I know it's going to surprise a lot of you, but we're going to support it, and we want your support too. Now, can you imagine sitting there, being in Seymour, Missouri, listening to this person from Jefferson City, who has driven three hours to get there, to give that mealy-mallied, weak response, and for the Chamber of Commerce to say, we support this, and we want this, and then that's their pitch. It was stunning to me. Yeah, I mean, I can't really <laughs> speak to that since I wasn't there or anything. But I know, but I just want to get that off my chest. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, there, it was not, I mean, it, it's not been politically popular. Right. Um, and so I understand that there was a lot of hesitation and maybe not as much enthusiasm around it Yeah. Um, as there could have been. I, I guess all I can focus on now is the fact that uh, I think there are a lot of stakeholders that are supportive of this across the spectrum. I mean... In the business community, right. the hospital association's been a big champion, and and of course many different organizations and non for profits, because um, I think when you know a rural hospital does close uh, in a community, which we've had nine, that is significant for. I mean, it's usually the number one employer, so all those right. folks lose their jobs, yeah. benefits that they probably had, but also when you think about when people have to, even people that have insurance have to drive, you know however far to the right. hospital right. for emergency care, but even just preventative care or for treatments, right. for, you know, and a number of different things. And so I, I'm, I'm really excited about all the advocates that have come together and are pushing this, you know, to be on the ballot. Yeah, to be on the ballot. So they're yeah. still collecting signatures, but I've heard they're on track, and I, I really hope that I, I'm, I'm very optimistic it's going to pass. And it's yeah. something that I really it was part of like my, my initial introduction to policy and healthcare policy yeah. and, and Jefferson City politics. And um, so you know, uh, I'm hoping on election night in 2020. Well, I'm hoping it'll be very different from election night in 2016 for a lot of reasons. Well, but sure. that's an issue that is near and dear to me because I. In doing that work, met with a lot of individuals and families who were directly impacted by the lack of action from yeah. uh, legislators on that issue. And um, and there's also people, you know, that don't have access to health care and can't get preventative care, right. can't get an early diagnosis. I mean, it has... 
real life, like life and yeah. death consequences. This is, uh, yeah. this is people's lives. And it's just, and, it, and to me, is just, I guess what I, you know, my frustration is it does seem like an economic issue that, in a rural issue that Republicans should be supportive mm-hmm. of. But for whatever reason, there's just a stubbornness or, or something like that that just prevents them from doing it. But they are literally watching their own constituents fall over dead as a result of this. My words, not yours. But I mean, that's but that's what's happening. And it is it is it is frustrating. And I, you know, on, on the side, I do work. I, I used to do uh, work for mental health, uh, you know, legal issues down in Southwest Missouri. I still do a little bit of that on the side. I go to Moberly, the hospital up there. They have a psychiatric unit there. Uh, you know, you wonder walking in how long that uh, hospital is going to stay open. It seems like it's pretty empty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, as far as just quality of life and you know, people having access to care and, and dignity, it is an economic issue, especially um, in the sense of it. In other states, I've passed it. It has not been this thing that has destroyed their budget. No. In fact, it's helped. And it's a job creator. Isn't I mean, it like Kentucky? Like, they've done, like, you know, healthcare exchanges, and they've done this. It's helped them. Yeah. And so the thing is now, you know, in 2013, when advocates were pushing this, right. we didn't have a lot of data at the time. Yeah. Uh, but now it's 2019, we're, or we're going to 2020, we can actually look at states that implemented it the first year and get some real good fiscal analysis. Yeah. You know, so there's... And job, you know, like there's more um, data to present in the argument. Yeah. In 2013, we didn't really have that. So, so people that were skeptical about it, I mean, we, we had projections of things, which is was helpful. And, yeah. Um, but now we have data, you know, over the past uh, six years that we've, you know, have, have done this. And so, um, did I do my math right on that? Sorry. We'll check it later, okay. and we'll, we'll point out if you're wrong or not. Sorry. Uh, no. <laughs> Yes, no, social, you're not, not math major. Yeah, I mean, I would, I we don't be have doctors be basic, here if basic, we were basic math. good at math. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I, yeah, so I, I'm optimistic about it. And uh, and so I encourage people that if you see someone collecting signatures and you support that, then um, please sign on. Right. Because, I mean, there's still a chance there's going to be another ballot initiative out there involving renewable energy standards. And so... We'll see. Is that some? Who's, I don't know much about that. Well, you know, it's interesting you mentioned it, Representative <laughs> Stevens. It's a group <laughs> called Missourians uh, for Affordable uh, and uh, Clean Energy, or MACE. Uh, I don't know if that's the perfect acronym, but that seemed like that worked. And it was. Um, I am the. Um, I am the deputy treasurer of that organization, Charlie O'Reilly, who's a philanthropist businessman from Springfield, Missouri. He is the uh, treasurer for it. Uh, we're on the process of seeing if we're going to have funding to do that. We're working with the utility companies like, literally as we speak to see if we can get something that everyone can agree to. So there could be that on the ballot as well. Okay. Hmm. Stay tuned. I always like to leave everybody with a cliffhanger. Hey. So, you know, but like that's and that's the thing with the renewable energy standard. We passed one of those, this group, uh, we're in Missouri did in 2008. You know, the legislature monkeyed around with that a little bit. They changed the language. I mean, do you have confidence that that won't, I mean, is that something that uh, with Medicaid expansion, if that were to pass, do you think that the legislature will leave it alone? They'll see this as something that, well, at least we don't have to take a vote on it, so we'll let it go through. Well, I recently the governor has indicated, if he's still the right. governor in 2020, that he yeah. would, if it passed, that uh, Governor Parson would uphold the will of the voters on that. So, I mean, if that's if, you know, he, he's got a, he's up for election. He is year. up for election. So uh, that's something to consider. I, I can't. 
I don't want to speculate too much. I don't know what their tactic might be. We're going to hold this. We're going to hold you to all this, you know, if you speculate. Um, I just, I, I would hope that they uh, would support the will of the voters. Um, yeah. And hopefully it will pass by um, an overwhelming uh, margin of support and... Um, healthy margins. Yes, yeah. healthy. And I mean, it all kind of goes into, I mean, we, we've been meaning to have a podcast about this, but we, but Renew Missouri is, we are doing more work on the health benefits, public health benefits of energy efficiency, oh, for sure. example. And like, so something we should talk about. It's not anything we're doing like at the legislative level or even at the PSC, but we are doing a lot of work and trying to reach out to social workers and reach out to public health officials to amplify this education method message that we're doing. Uh, we're working with the utility companies on this. We have a lot of really good energy efficiency efforts in the state. I think I was thinking I was saying off mic, we just met with the governor's office to talk about some of that. And it's really something that we are actually a good example for around the country. But I think, you know, when you talk about issues with people's health and especially low income individuals with health, that's something that's important. It's something that I think you're going to hear more and more from Renew Missouri on because I do think that that's important. And I think that's something that's been very admirable for your work, not just as a lawmaker, but also in your background, your history. It's helpful because it is, it's, I mean, as you said, it's life or death. So yeah, and quali- thank you for quality all that. of life too. <laughs> quality of life for sure for folks. Yeah, I mean, because it's not just like we don't want you to just live. We want you to like you know be able to like live you know in a healthy way. And this is I mean, let's just be honest. When you're poor, that's hard because I mean, you, I mean, because you've got all these needs and demands going on. You might have just healthcare issues that have like made you in a condition where you can't improve. Uh, you might live in areas where there aren't access to health. There's not access to jobs. There's not even access to get you know mobility to places. I mean, you know, I've worked in rural uh, mental health issues. You're talking about someone living out in the middle of a country, trying to get the mental health services. That is not easy to do. No, no, I agree. Um, You know, and that's why it's so important to keep these hospitals and and to bring in, if we did pass Medicaid expansion, to bring in that money so that we can have more robust healthcare infrastructure. And that's for hospitals, mental health care, substance use disorder treatment centers, and all of those things. I will say, you know, there have been, I mean, this is not um, a fixing of everything, Uh um, but, you know, technology plays a role too for people in rural areas with things like telehealth. And that's been a good tool. It's, I mean, we still have many ways to make uh, mental health care more um, accessible for folks in rural areas, but there has been one technology solution, but we can do much more. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I think that's just, I mean, I think technology is, you know, the key to a lot of things, not obviously solving them, but trying to make it improved. Uh, But the law is way behind on some of that stuff. I mean, and so, and you know, when you've got the kind of, you know, when you've got the slow process of the, the deliberative Mm-hmm. process of legislating then it's hard to keep up yeah and that's another challenge as well i mean certainly one that we deal with all the time mm-hmm. certainly one you've dealt with a lot and not only as a state rep but as a as an advocate as far as 2020 goes i mean is there anything in the legislature we should be watching keeping our eyes out for yeah um well i haven't had a chance pre-filing started december 1st i haven't had yeah. a chance to really go through and get it you know i've just of course, reading the newspaper. And, Boy, there's some dumb ones and, and out there I've read. social media. <laughs> and uh, I think that one of the priorities, definitely, as I mentioned before, will be the Clean Missouri repeal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think this year we'll probably um, focus, well, not me or my party, um, but I think that, uh, you know, we'll go back to things around proposing guns on campuses, mm. guns in daycares, and all of those bills. I do you said not guns in daycares. Well, it would be guns everywhere. Like okay. You can bring a gun in anywhere. Uh, I can't remember 
the bill sponsor last year, but I'm sure that will come back this year. The guns on campus, I'm, I have no doubt if that hasn't already been filed. Um, so I think that those are some <laughs> big ones. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, so obviously those issues, I mean, one thing that I think that we were actually talking about with the governor's office today, and I'm not trying to name drop here, but I'm just saying one thing I think that you've expressed interest in the low income housing tax credit mm -hmm. and trying to restore that, that was uh, done away with in 2017. Um, I know it's something that we want to see uh, done because we want to see energy efficiency standards be put into mm -hmm. that criteria. That's a legislative issue right now. And trying to bring that back and trying to like do some reform on it to try to make sure we have low income housing tax credits. I mean, is that something that you're focused on or looking at? Um, I haven't looked to see too much. I'm not totally up to date on what's going on with sure. that. So I'm not sure. Gonna... Yeah. But I mean, but it was something that, uh, I mean, certainly something I think has now created kind of a backlog of people who are like trying to get affordable housing in mm -hmm. Missouri because we don't have that. Yeah. No, it's right a significant now. issue. Yeah, and so uh, yeah, we're I know we're working on that. I know that's something we're working on with housing advocates and social workers and everything else. So mm -hmm. we'll be talking about that yeah, more as go. well. So anything else you want to plug? Uh, no, I mean I mean I'll be <laughs> continuing to work on issues um, around the opioid epidemic, working on uh, harm reduction policy, needle exchange. Bills, okay. Um, refiling my limit on payday lending restrictions. Right. Stop well, really predatory lending, yeah, uh, that trap of low income families and cycles of debt. Um, so I've got a couple other things that I'm still kind of working on. So once right. that's out, um, I guess stay tuned. <laughs> All right, well, let us know, and uh, we thank you for coming on. Thank you, uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, and uh, this has been Renew Gurus again. Like, I think as we said last year, we're trying to reach out to lawmakers. So if you're a lawmaker listening, and we know there are a few of you are, and you haven't been on here, we would invite you. We'll come to Jefferson City, you can come to Columbia, we will find you. And we'd like to talk to you about what motivates you and makes you passionate about your uh, public service. Uh, yes, again, uh, we still have another week left of our year-end appeal. So if you're not sick of me asking you for money, we need your money to continue doing this work, especially if we're going to be doing legislative work because we cannot use our grant money for that. Um, so please uh, go to the Renew Missouri uh, website and just hit that donate button as much as you can. If you like what you heard on this podcast, share it on your social media networks, share it on your platforms. Uh, you know, make sure you tag Representative Stevens. You're on social media, are you mm, not? I am. Oh, why don't you give a plug for that? Oh, sure. I have to look. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I should have my every. Yeah, I mean, I'm on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, my website is friendswithmarthastevens.org. Yeah. And then on Twitter, you can follow me at Martha4, the uh, number 4MO. Okay. So go find her. And like when you put that on there, put, be sure to tag that. Write a review, only if it's positive. Subscribe to us on Spotify and subscribe to us on iTunes. And um, we just want to wish you all happy holidays and we'll see you after the, next, uh, after the uh, new year.